Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Good Juju Studios is looking for an art director. This is a remote position. Also, Bandcamp is looking for a user experience designer. This is a remote position. For just $99, you can post your job listing with us where it will be on our job board for 30 days and we'll also spread the word about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. We even offer annual job board subscriptions. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these listings. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I just want to take some time out and thank our accessibility sponsor for this episode, Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Now for this week's interview, which is an update from one of our early, early guests back from 2014, Adekunle Oduye. Currently, Adekunle is a UX engineer with a focus on design systems, and he's a design mentor and public speaker located in Brooklyn, New York. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hello, my name is Adekunle Oduye. I am a UX engineer based out of Brooklyn, New York. Currently, right now, I am working at MailChimp building design systems. Oh, that's right. I heard that MailChimp had expanded out into New York. How long have you been there? I've been there, it's going to be two years. So they actually have like a broken office. It's smaller than the one in Atlanta, but it's a pretty good amount of people. So Nice. Did you get a chance to come to the office? Yeah. I went to Pond City Market, which I think I kind of compared to like Chelsea markets for the people that are from New York. But yeah, it's pretty, Atlanta's pretty cool. The people are pretty good. The food is uh, pretty amazing. I and I think every every time I left, I felt I felt full and also like wanted to come back. So <laughs> I love that office space that they have in Pont City Market. Although I think the last I heard, they were about to move out of it because the company's gotten bigger. So they're moving to like a different space. I think in another part of town. Yeah, that's correct. I'm not too familiar, but from what I've heard from the people that are down there, it seems like they have to walk down the belt line and it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if it's like 10 minutes or whatever, but yeah, they're going to be moving. And I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's probably going to be probably in the near future. So yeah. How's your year been going so far? 
Yeah, my year has been pretty good. I've been taking it easy since last year. I think last year was kind of hectic for everyone. But I think for me, what I was trying to do was like stay busy. So I was doing a bunch of stuff, side projects and doing some freelancing and reading a lot and whatnot. So this year is just kind of like I'm just taking it easy and kind of establishing some of my hobbies that I haven't been doing in a while. So it's been pretty good. One thing I remember from our last interview is that you're a painter. Did you take that up last year? Kind of. I kind of did one painting, but I did drawing because it's, I think with me, the painting, I feel like I've lost a lot of my skills because I feel like a lot of my work recently is mostly on the computer. So I've been doing a lot of drawing. So in 2019, I did a couple of drawing classes. So I, I went to the museum and kind of was drawing and also we had like critique sessions. So yeah, I'm trying to do like baby steps where I like try to draw something every day and kind of get back into it. But hopefully this summer, I'm going to like have dedicated time where I just like get lost in that. Yeah. Nice. What else did you kind of learn about yourself over the past year? I feel like everyone is sort of starting to come out of this with some new kind of personal revelation about themselves. Yeah, I think for me, like there was a lot going on last year and I was like, it was making me very anxious and and worrisome. And I got into a lot of stoicism. And for those who don't know, stoicism is basically ancient philosophy and it kind of gives you like a way of living. And I think one of the most common things they kind of talk about is that how you want to focus on the things you can control and I think that was very helpful because I think not only in like life, but like work, there's some stuff that kind of bothers you and whatnot, but you have to really focus on like, what can you control? And if you can't control it, then you shouldn't really worry about it, if that makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. And that's actually a really, I think it's a really helpful tactic in general. Certainly, it's actually a piece of advice I've given a lot of people this year that have started working remotely is to focus on the stuff that you can control. So because you're kind of thrust back home and it's not exactly the work environment and you have to kind of adjust to that, just focus on the things you can control. You can control how you respond to things. You can control your reactions, you know, things of that nature. Yeah, exactly. And I think that actually helped me with a lot of like being more proactive rather than reactive because a lot of the stuff is like, if something happens or like, let's say someone says something to you, you can't really control that, but you can control like how you respond to it or how you're going to like move forward. And I think that's kind of been my response and kind of like my mentality since um, last year. And I think it's been very helpful because things always happen, especially with work where sometimes you go through a reorg and like people are not seeing eye to eye, but I think kind of always look back and say, all right, what can I do better? What can I do to help people and whatnot. And I think that's been very helpful, but also it keeps me grounded. So, yeah. Speaking of work, what does a regular day look like for you at MailChimp? A lot of it uh, rolls around maintaining a current design system that's being used in the product. So some days I could be responding to people that have questions around like the design system. Other days, I could be building components. And currently right now, I'm I'm mostly focusing on prototyping. So prototyping patterns and seeing how we can kind of establish these like pre-built guidelines that 
and patterns that designers and engineers can use when they're building out features. Now, let's. I want to talk a little bit about uh, design systems. I feel like that's something that personally I've really only heard fairly recently. Can you talk about what a design system is and how it's different from, say, like a style guide or a brand guide or something like that? Yeah, for sure. So a design system is basically a collection of components, patterns, and guidelines for a product. So any product you see from Facebook to Google, whatever like that, they have a specific set of design systems. And the whole idea is that like you create these like pre-built like Lego blocks for UI so that people can kind of take certain pieces and start building the whole user experience or application of the actual product itself. And the difference between like design system and style guide is that I would say the design system is like the umbrella and it includes the style guide and the style guide would define the more atomic levels of the design system. So your your typography, how your buttons are going to look, where are the colors and whatnot. And basically from those like foundation style um, styles, you kind of will build your, your components and you build your patterns and whatnot. And now why is a design system important when it comes to like a product like MailChimp? Well, it's important because as your product grows, there starts to be a lot of tech debt, but also in some cases, there might not be a cohesive, cohesive like UI experience overall. So the whole idea of a design system is to making sure that the product is scalable, it's accessible, and it's performant. So one case scenario would be like if I am a product engineer and I want to like build a feature, rather than building it from scratch, they could use a, the design system that will help them build the, the, the actual user flow much quickly and faster. Okay, so the, it's sort of almost like a... I was going to say like a kit or a toolbox or something like it makes the development a lot easier because you're pulling from all these pre-designed elements that you can kind of slot into place or use to quickly prototype or make something. Yeah, pretty much. And it's not only specific to like engineers, but it could be useful for designers. And there's even more in the case where they do for um, content charges. Mm -hmm. So they're, there are many ways you could use the actual design system. And I think the best design systems are the ones that are inclusive and are be able to use by many different people. So even for content strategists, that would be, hmm, I guess I could see that. Like if there's certain like tone or certain passages, like error messages or something like that, like microcopy, that kind of thing. Yeah, pretty much. And I think we actually have one content style guy that we have. And I think... It's super important because I, I kind of look at it as like people are not visiting your product because of like the UI. They're visiting it because of like the content and, and whatnot. So having a consistent way of doing content is super important. Gotcha. Gotcha. I was curious about that because at the startup that I'm currently at, they're focusing pretty heavily on design systems, but like we don't have a brand guide or a style guide. And there are certain types of things that they want to do branching out with content and other media and stuff, but we don't have that sort of structure in place to make sure that the things we're creating are cohesive to the rest of the brand or something. So I'm glad that you mentioned that it's sort of like an umbrella for these other things, because 
I know when I've tried to explain it, they kind of look at me like I've got an arm growing out of my forehead or something. So <laughs> I feel like I know I'm on the right track here. It's not the same thing, but it's similar. So, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And I would also add that, like, I always compare it to, like, like building a house. You don't want to, like, start making your own screws and all this other stuff. So usually you have some sort of case where you're like, all right, we have, like, all these, like, different pieces and you can kind of put them together to kind of fit or solve any problem you want to face. And it just makes your life easier. You don't have to focus on two things at once. Yeah. I remember when we first talked on Revision Path, which for those listening was seven years ago, Adekunle was episode 21. And at that time you were just about to start at NASDAQ. I think it was maybe like the day before your first day or something like that. Do you remember what your time was like there? Yeah, it was a it was definitely a, a interesting experience. I, I would say that was probably my first real corporate job, so I didn't know what to expect. I can say I definitely learned a lot. I encountered with a lot of great people and different people, and I think it's something that I use to this day because I I was part of a large product design team. It was around like thirty of us, and I've learned a lot. I learned a lot about front-end development. I learned a lot about research. I learned a lot about like how to talk to like executives. So it was definitely like a good experience there. I think I was there for like three and a half years, which is the longest wow. time I spent with one employer. So it was a fulfilling uh, experience. And after that, you were at JustWorks for a minute. Um, actually, we just had someone on the show, Sabrina Hall. She's also well, she's at JustWorks now. But you were at JustWorks for a minute, and then after that, you were at Sloan Kettering. When you think back on those two experiences, what do you remember? Yeah, I think those two experiences was probably like how I learned what I wanted to do. When I was at uh, JustWorks, I was really figuring out like what I wanted to do because it was like, I think a lot of times like companies want to put you in a box, and I remember when I was doing an interview, they were like, oh, so are you more of like a designer or a developer? And I was like, well, I wanted to get the job. So I was like, oh, I'm a designer. But I was like, I kind of like doing both. And I think that's where I kind of really learned what I wanted to do. Because I think even when I was there, I was probably one of the more technical product designers. And it was hard to kind of do both when you're like working on like three different squads. So it was a good learning lesson. I think what I've taken away from there was like, I want to be in a place where I was able to kind of use both my design and development skills. And another was like, I really wanted to kind of focus more on design systems. And then at Slow to Kettering, that was probably the second time I was like more of like a, a lead for a project. So I was leading the design system efforts there, which I really enjoyed just like, um, starting from the ground up, I did a lot of like user interviews and was able to kind of work with people and kind of build it from the ground up and kind of clean that foundation. And yeah, it was definitely hard work because like people that have worked in design centers know there's like so many things you have to do. And it was just me by myself just kind of working on it and getting some part-time help from some of the, the engineers. So I realized like when I was there, it was like understanding that you have to have a team to kind of build something great because it's, it's it's so much work to do. So much work has to go into it. And another was around like alignment. Cause I think when I was there, 
I was working on design systems, but there was like other departments that are working on design systems. And I think it was hard because I don't think we were like aligned on like what the design system should be. So yeah. that was one of the takeaways I learned where it was like making sure you're aligned and making sure that your design system is inclusive and like, people can kind of see it, use it, and also provide some feedback was super important. So yeah, I think like those those experience definitely shaped me and understand like what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. Now it looks like, you know, your career focus has really shifted over time. Like you started out back when you were about to start at NASDAQ, you kind of started out with front end. And from there, as you went to other places, you shifted to UX, then to product. And now you're kind of, at least what it sounds like from the work you're doing at MailChimp, like back to front end. Talk to me about that. Like what caused those shifts as you progressed in your career? Yeah, I think it's more in a case of like what I'm curious on and like, and I think one of the things I kind of promised myself when I was like starting out was that I wanted to kind of take any idea from start to finish. So that means like from the design standpoint, I want to be able to like do the research and understand who our users are, also understand the business and what would be beneficial to the business, how will they make money. And then from the UI standpoint, it was like to really understand what makes good product UI and how we can make it cohesive and whatnot. And then midway through my career, I kind of learned that like, all right, you could kind of design the best like mock-up, but if you can't build it or if it's hard to build, then it's probably not going to look exactly like it would look when you're kind of designing it. So that's why I started really understanding like the technical side, like, like even like how the internet works and how the browser works and like what is possible and how to make performant applications and websites. So I would say it was like kind of like a curious of like from the start to the end of like building something out. I enjoy, I think oftentimes you look at the stuff I've done, even like you look at the actual job titles I had in the past, like which span from like print designer, web designer, front-end developer, product designer, design technologist, UX engineer, front engineer. It's a lot, but I feel like it's, for me, it's like, I'm curious in like learning how to build products from start to finish. And I think over each of those like job titles, I've learned so much and it's kind of helped me to like really understand what I want to do and how I want to do it. Now, back also when we did your first interview, I remember you told me a piece of career advice that you give to other designers. You said to always study your craft. Do you still kind of stand by that? Yeah, for sure. I think it's something that never ends. And I double down to the case where it's you have to study the basics before you start to do anything that's more complex. And it kind of reminds me of like when I was in, in art school where it was like, I was like, oh, I want to do like a painting. But I think one of my teachers was like, oh, you have to like learn how to like draw first because that's kind of like the foundation. And I think it's the same with design and engineering, whereas like with design, you have to really understand like typography, color theory, spacing, line, and et cetera. And with engineering, it's more in the case of like, understanding design patterns and variables and functions and whatnot. And if you understand like that core, then you pretty much could do like anything. And it's in so much in the case of like 
programming, programming, like you understand one programming language, you could probably program in anything else. You just have to figure out like the syntax. And I think that's what I always communicate to people often. Is there any other advice that you would add to that just based off your your experience over the past seven years? Yeah, for sure. I think one thing I mentioned before is to like, don't allow people to like put you in a box. Oftentimes I hear people like, oh, like you're just a designer, so you only should focus on design or you're, you're a developer, you only should focus on developer. But I think the people that are going to stand out and be great teammates are the ones that have experience in multiple disciplines. I've seen people like designers that are very good with copy, writing copy. And I think that's like a skill that I wish I had, but it's something that's great to have when you're like being part of a team. And I think it just helps with like overall personal growth and always like pushing yourself to do something different. Cause I think oftentimes you can get very comfortable with like, Oh, I've been doing design for 20 years and I'm just going to keep on doing it. I felt my design career has helped me become a better developer and I would say vice versa too. So yeah, I would say like, don't let people put in your box and always explore different disciplines and whatnot. And the second thing I would add would be to kind of making sure that people are very proactive with how they want their career to go. Cause I think oftentimes people think about like, Oh, I'm at this job and I'm only like doing this and I'm going to do this. But I think how I kind of envisioned it was like, I want to be able to do this and this. And this is like when I first, first starting out. And I wanted to make, always make sure that my current job or role is pushing forward to that actual like goal I had. And I think going it that way made me very, really focused on like, all right, what I'm doing today, is this helpful? If it's not like pushing me forward, then I had to kind of talk to my manager or figure out what were some ways I could kind of build on those skills and whatnot. So I would say those are like the two additions I had. Nice. I want to go into mentoring. Um, I noticed from looking at your LinkedIn that you've been working with this organization called Springboard as a UX mentor. You've been doing that for almost three years now. Talk to me about that. Springboard is basically a boot camp that's like run online where anyone that is interested in becoming a product designer, and I think they expand it to like software engineering, but I work on the, the UX side of things, but anyone can kind of take this course and it's about say six to eight months long. And you basically are learning a lot about the foundations of UX and UI and you get paired with a mentor. So each week you talk with your mentor about the stuff you've done and if you have any questions or whatnot. So yeah, I've been doing it for three years and I probably had around like 10 plus mentees. And one of my ways of like teaching them is kind of always using experiences from my past, which I feel like that's a better way of like telling a story rather than just saying like, you need to do this because X, Y, and Z. So yeah. And I would say like, it helped me to really get good at explaining my process because usually the mentees were always asked like, why should I do this over that? And probably like four or five years ago, I'd have been like, well, because that's how I learned it. But now I'm better at explaining like, why you should you use one technique over the other and what makes good design? And also, I think, be able to kind of critique is like a skill that I needed to improve on. So, but yeah, it's been overall a good experience. Mm. It's so interesting hearing you talk about mentoring and then like 
just juxtaposing that with our interview from so long ago and how you were like just starting out. It's great to hear your growth like in that area. What do you really gain from being a mentor? Like what does it give you? So I would say that like the first thing is just kind of giving back and like paying it forward. Cause like even what you said is like from what I was seven years ago, like I, I pretty much didn't know anything. I was more like a designer and wanted to get into product and whatnot. And kind of the reason how I got to this point was like I had a lot of people that allowed me to like ask questions and allowed me to pick their brain in order for me to get better. So my idea would kind of be to kind of pay that forward. So I think that would be the first thing. The second thing, as I mentioned, is that like it's more in a case of learning how to communicate and like talk about your your process. I realized that like as you spend more time in this industry, you're going to work with a lot of like designers, technical folks, non-technical folks. And I think one of the key things is to be able to communicate your ideas and thoughts to multiple people. And I think mentorship is definitely one of them because I definitely had specific cases where people will ask me questions about like color theory or design systems or whatnot. And I always had to make sure that I was able to explain in a way where they could understand. And yeah, and I think overall it's, just, it's been, it's been pretty good. I feel like it's like something that I'm able to empower people and hopefully they could like accomplish their goals and dreams and whatnot. So now another thing, and I keep referencing our interview just cause I'm struck as you talk, just how different things have, have changed. Just even hearing how you carry yourself has changed. Uh, you mentioned back then you really wanted to speak at conferences, which you've done since then. What are some of the events that you've spoken at? From our conversation, the next, the year after that was like my first conference talk, um, which was CSS conference, which was mm-hmm. um, probably one of the most terrifying, but best things I've done. And the reason why I say that is because um, I did my talk and I kind of rewrote my talk the night before because I was like so nervous and whatnot. But I think, (laughs) again, that was like, I probably would never do that again, but it's like a learning lesson and whatnot. But yeah, it's been pretty good. I've been able to speak at some of the conference that I always wanted to go to. So some of them has been Clarity. I did an event apart, did Smashing Magazine and uh, Smashing Meets and whatnot. So I think it's, I'm around at like 30 or 40, which is like wild. And I think last year I spoke at the most conferences I'd done ever because I think everything was like remote. So it was like pretty yeah. easy to kind of do stuff. So, but yeah, it's um, something that um, I'm glad I did because I think like even back then when I was looking at it, I was very fearful of like public speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think usually a lot of people are, are scared of, public speaking. And for me, I was like, I decided to like, all right, I got to like face this fear head on. So the best way to do it is to kind of get up on stage and talk about something. So, but yeah, it's been a great experience. I've met so many great people along the way that's helped me become a better speaker, better developer, better designer, overall good person. So, but yeah, I hope to continue to doing that in the future. I don't know when in-person is going to come back, but I'm going to come back probably next year or something like that. So, yeah. It feels like some places are even trying to bring stuff back this year. Like maybe they're waiting until like the fall and the winter. I know I've gotten some invites to actually San Francisco Design Week. As we're recording the San Francisco Design Week, I got invited for that. And they were like, oh, you can come in person if you want. I'm like, 
that's next month. <laughs> I don't, th- I don't think I'm going to be there for that, but I appreciate the invite. I'm, and they're, they'll allow it virtually. And to your point about so many events going virtual last year, like I spoke a ton last year for that same reason. Like I could just log on here at the house and be on a panel or give a talk or something like that. I wonder if that's going to really continue as we move forward because I went to a lot of new events that honestly just took advantage of the current situation to be able to put an event on. Like doing it online means you don't have to worry about a venue or insurance costs or things of that nature. You can just sort of set up a series of Zoom calls or whatever. I hope that continues in the future because I think that's made these types of conferences a lot more accessible for more people. Yeah, for sure. I think that was one thing I learned when I was attending Clarity Conf last year. I think I was, they had a thing where we're doing like networking, speed, dating, sort of. And I remember I was talking to a bunch of like a bunch of people. Some people were like from like Russia. They were like, yeah, I was always wanted to go to one, but like I could never go because like I couldn't afford it. So I agree that it, I think hopefully they have like some sort of hybrid model where they can kind of do both. But I kind of like it. I feel like I spoke to more people in virtual conferences than, or network with more people in virtual conferences than real life because oh, really? it actually forced me to like speak to new people, which is mm-hmm. interesting. So that's interesting. I don't know what the first in person conference is going to be that I attend. If they have it in person this year, I may go to Black and Design in Boston. Or actually, it's in Cambridge, but close enough in Boston. I may go to that if they do it in person this year. I miss that kind of in-person camaraderie and like just sort of, I don't know, you're able to sort of network with people after talks. You can talk to people in the hall and stuff like that. Like I miss those kinds of spontaneous connections because I did a bunch of talks last year. And the one thing was once my talk was over, that was it. Like I closed the <laughs> laptop and I'm like, okay, now what? Wait for the the honorarium to come in, which, you know, is not bad, but like that sort of in-person networking thing. I think it's still going to take a while, but I've started already seeing some events. Uh, Actually, funny enough, last year, How Design Live, I think, was going to have an event here in Atlanta. And they were asking me about, not about speaking, I think they wanted me to like help out as a media partner or something. And I was like, it is very irresponsible for you to have an in-person conference in Atlanta in the middle of a pandemic and they ended up doing it online. I don't know if they're going to come back down here or not, but we'll see. I just hope that more of these virtual events stick around and that some of these events that had to go virtual at least offer that up as an option kind of moving forward. Cause I got to go to so many things that I otherwise would not have been able to go to, but because it was online, I could just pay my money, get a ticket, log on, boom, boom, boom. You know, it was pretty easy. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think speaking wise, like I was, I think I was doing like, at one point it was like one, like three weeks in a month. I was, I had like three talks and most, like it was like the same talk, but I would never have done that if it was like, I have to like travel and whatnot. So I think it made it easy for me to like do those talks and also like also improve on them. Cause like usually what I do is like each time I do the talk, I'll change like a specific thing and, and, figure out like how what works and what doesn't work and and, and I get feedback from the actual conference. So yeah, and I think it was it was pretty good. And I would like to do more in the future. I also agree about like the actual 
in-person ones because I think some of the best memories is working, like talking with people and like just chatting and grabbing dinner and, and just like meeting new people and, and whatnot. So, but yeah, I think hopefully like we go back to something that's more like we have like a hybrid model where some conferences are like virtual and other conferences are more of like a hybrid model. So I think hopefully, but yeah, I'm excited for, for that. Yeah. One thing that I usually will ask guests on the show is like where they see themselves in five years. I'm curious when you think back to like when we did our interview, when you think back to that, what did you think you were going to be doing in five years? Oh, wow. I think when I was looking back, I think I actually wanted to be like some sort of like director or product design director or whatnot and just like leading a team and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's definitely not gonna happen. I was like, I like, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's one of the things I learned. It was like, I think at one job, yeah, I think I, when I was at now, I was like, I was like managing a person and also doing like IC work. And I was like, and I think managing like is an important role, but it's probably not right for me because it's, it's, I like the craft of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you also could like not manage, but I like, leading and i think there's a difference between those two like you could be a leader and not be a manager which i yeah. learned and I, was like, I was like okay i i could do that and even in in like the more like technical fields like you have some ic's that are more managers you have ic's that are more of like directors and, and directing like projects and whatnot so i think it allows for more flexibility and whatnot but in you said five years right yeah I mean, I wouldn't even know because if you told me five, like seven years ago, I'll be where I am today. I would've been like, "You lying." But um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I think like my goal is to definitely do more mentorship. Like, I would like to have like some sort of like mentorship program, and it's for people that would like to get into more of like the design engineering, which is both like basically a designer engineer. Like in that realm, because I know there's not a lot of resources around that. Like you either have to be like a designer or like an engineer. So I'm trying to like create this community that's more of a case of these like hybrid thinkers and whatnot. So, Mm. so yeah, I think like doing more teaching, mentorship and whatnot, I think that'll be like my goal. But yeah, that's hard because like, like I said, back in the day, I had, I had like a whole list and even prior to that, I wanted to be like, an art director for a magazine publishing company and things have changed a lot. So I've tried yeah. not to make too much of like a long-term goal, but hopefully I'm doing more teaching and mentorship. So I like that idea of doing like a design engineer hybrid kind of community. Cause I think we're starting to see, at least I know I'm starting to see a lot more of that in tech. The place where I'm at currently, for example, is largely, I think it's mostly engineers, but a lot of the engineers are operating in kind of a hybrid sort of thing. So like they're an engineer, but they're also on our growth team or they're an engineer and they might also be doing maybe something more like DevOps or infrastructure. That's not so much like front end type stuff. And I think that's something that you're starting to see more of this kind of melding of skills, particularly with startups that try to stay small and lean. They usually want to have a bunch of hybrids that can do multiple roles as opposed to a particular specialist that can come in and only does one thing and that's it. Yeah, I think you're right. It's becoming more of a thing. And I think 10 years ago, it was a case of like, you only want you to do one thing. But I think organizations are starting to see the benefits of having 
these hybrids because they not only could do two things, but they could also collaborate with different people and also take ideas from concept to completion in a in a timely fashion. So it's definitely going to be more in the future. And again, there's not many um, resources dedicated for these individuals because I think how we communicate is like, oh, you have to pick one over the other. And I always tell people, it's like, you don't have to pick one or the other. You can do both. I've been doing it for 10 years. And even if they hire me for one thing, I always end up doing the other thing. So it's definitely going to like take off and hopefully it becomes a thing where people not only in like career, but also in school are like, oh, I could like become a design engineer and, and whatnot. So mm. what do you spend time on when you're not working? Yeah. So I've been spending a lot of time like either drawing and picking like random hobbies. So actually for some reason I bought like a, a lock picking set and I kind of enjoyed doing that. Okay. Um, again, I'm not going to do it to rob anyone. I just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I kind of trying to do more stuff that's like, doesn't require a computer. So hopefully in the future I could do pick up like woodworking and some other things, but yeah, I kind of enjoy more tangible, like actual, like building stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I think definitely last year taught me where I was like, Oh, I need to spend less time on a computer, um, especially with all the Zoom meetings and whatnot. So, but yeah, I think art and just like things I've been do- like I used to do when I was younger around like art, painting, and even doing something that was like sculptures. But again, I'm trying to do a baby step. So I'm going to start with drawing and then hopefully graduate to the to the more complex ones. I remember seeing something, I think it was like a study or something, it was talking about the rise in video conferencing and how it's increasing carbon emissions like overall because of the, I guess, the carbon footprint of doing video conferencing versus, say, meeting up in person or something like that, which is honestly something that I didn't really think about at all. If anything, I was like, oh, well, if we're not traveling, then yes, carbon emissions would go down because you're not in, you know, like planes or trains or automobiles or something like that. But I was reading this study and it was saying that like one hour of video conferencing puts out, I think, up to a thousand grams of carbon dioxide and it requires up to 12 liters of water. But if you turn your camera off, you reduce that footprint by like 90 something percent, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's kind of amazing because I think a lot of people think it's like, oh, I'm like, I'm not really increasing my footprint because it's like all digital. But you have to understand like there's servers and those servers require power. So the mm-hmm. more you do, the more energy is going to use and whatnot. So yeah, I think hopefully like we figure out how to like decrease that because I think especially moving forward, like there's going to be cases where a lot of companies and, and and whatnot are going to be more of like a hybrid model and there's going to be more video conferencing and whatnot. So hopefully we figure out ways to kind of optimize it overall. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Cause I know I've heard that around like cryptocurrency because I've heard folks talk about how Bitcoin is actually like really bad for the environment. And when I first heard that, I said, well, how is a digital currency bad for the environment? And then I looked into it in terms of like the data processing that's used to mine for Bitcoin uses a lot of electricity and any production of electricity has a carbon footprint, a water footprint, a land footprint, 
And so all of that can cause environmental damage overall. And then when you look at like how many gigabytes of data are we using between like YouTube and Zoom and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and Lord knows how many other, you know, kind of platforms and stuff. I don't know how this veered off into environmentalism, (laughs) but I just, I I don't know. It's something that you mentioned that had me think about that particular study. So maybe somebody that's listening, they can, they can look into that if they want to. No, I think it's, it's important because I think a lot of people thought like, oh, I'm not really doing much because like I'm at home and I'm like watching videos or doing this, but there's always trade-offs and there's, there's always like some sort of footprint. And even me, I had to like learn about this. I was like, that doesn't really make sense. But if you think about it, the more technology we use, the more like servers we need. And also like the more like metals we need. So it's just like, there's a compound effect to like all the stuff we do. So I think it's good that more people are aware of it. Hopefully that awareness turns into people creating products that are quicker, faster, performant and whatnot. Yeah, hopefully so. The next video meeting I have, I'm going to turn the camera off and tell them I'm saving the environment. (laughs) (laughs) See if that works. I think it'll work. I'm going to try it out. He's like, I'm trying to save the planet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What do you wish you would have been told about this industry when you first started? I think the first one would have been around like burnout. Because I think earlier in my career, I was like, I'm going to work all the time. I'm going to use every framework, every tool and whatnot. And I would say like, I probably been burned out like a lot of times because I wanted to like learn it all and use it all. Mm-hmm. So I wish someone told me, it was like, don't focus your time on learning new things, focus your time on building. So if I, let's say if I wanted to like learn Python, like I would say early in my career, I probably would like read a book and go through a bunch of video courses on it and and that but me now i would have like all right what project am i building and is python the right tool for it and some actually can said it was like all these technologies and whatever like that think of them as like building tools so like a screwdriver a hammer and whatnot Mm -hmm. the best way to kind of learn how to like a user hammer is that if like, if you're like say building a house and you always have to to ask the question is like, am I using the right tool? Because if I'm building a house, then do I need a flamethrower? Again, a flamethrower is probably not like a a tool, but it's like one of the tools in your tool sets. And you have to figure out like which tool is best for the job. So I think that would have been super helpful because I definitely burn myself out of like learning random things and whatnot. The second thing is that, like, because I think a lot of times people look at the tech industry and it's like, oh, like, it must have been so great and all these companies are perfect. And I was like, none of these companies are perfect. All of them have their problems. They're basically the same as, like, humans. Like, there's no perfect human. Mm -hmm. It's the case of, like, everyone everyone has their own problems and you have to figure out which company is worth your time and effort because I think a lot of times I see where I hear people that come out of school like, oh, like my dream company is like working at this company. And then there's always some news that comes out about like a company and their bad practices and whatnot. So I would always say like, there's no one great company. 
Yeah. And also, don't put like these companies on a pedestal because I think a lot of times, like they like you say, like oh, you work at like Google or Facebook, and I think a lot of times people put those like people that work there above everyone else. But I wouldn't say that's the case because I think there's a lot of companies that are not as big and are not located in like SF or New York that are doing some great work. So I think that's the kind of the thing I learned being in this industry for like ten years. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? There is no such thing as a perfect tech company. They all are culpable in some sort of way. I think we've certainly seen that over the past, Jesus, over the past five years. Look at, you know, some of the really big tech companies like Facebook and Google and Twitter and how they've kind of managed to now be wrapped up into our everyday politics and even like the democracy of this country and everything. Like, Aside from the fact that their tools are being used as these platforms for misinformation, then you look at the hiring practices or the management practices or like it's it's so weird. Like every I guess I could give this as an example. I'm not under I'm not under NDA. So like my last employer, for example, was very woke. It's what you would call a woke employer. I will not name this employer. You know the name of the employer, Adekunle. The <laughs> folks who are listening probably know the name of it. I will not mention the name of it. However, this place really prided itself on being very open and transparent and things of that nature. And I tell you, it could not have been further from the truth behind the scenes. I mean, lying, gaslighting, all sorts of stuff. Like, it was a mess. And I mean, it's been reported in the news. I don't have to name the company. You all know which company I'm talking about, but it's a mess. Like now it's like a shell of its former self, which is really unfortunate. I want to see the company succeed, but you know, there's no perfect tech companies. We're all humans at the end of the day. I've heard so many things and I've been part of, especially last year where there was a lot of um, talk about like the black experience in tech and how companies are like, oh no, we're inclusive and whatnot. And then there's yeah. individuals saying like, uh, no, because they've done X, Y, and Z and blah, blah, blah. So right. I think it's always making sure that, you, again, you don't put these companies in pedestals and and understand the fact, and I would add this to where it's safe, like making sure that you produce your own content and you have your own side hustle just in case. Because again, I've seen some messed up things that, that kind of changed the way I think about like working at a company and the one scenario I was going to, I'm going to use, I'm not going to name the company, but I was working at this company and this person was at, she's worked there for like 10 years or whatnot. And I remember going through like rotation. They were like, Oh yeah, we're a family. Like everyone loves us. Like mm-hmm. we're here for you. And then one day they basically fired her on a Wednesday. They told her on, on a Wednesday that her last day would be Friday. Wow. And she was like crying and she was like, oh, like, I don't know what I'm going to do and whatnot. And like that hit me. That like was a wake up call because I was like, I never want to be in that position where like a company fires me and like I have no game plan after that. So yeah, um, that would be the another advice I would give to people where it's like always have some sort of side hustle. I, w- I wouldn't say like have a million of them, but like mm-hmm. even for me, like I do like the mentorship, I do conference speaking write articles and books and whatnot. So even if I get fired from my day job, like I'm not, I'll be able to survive. Yeah. Always have a plan B. Absolutely. At this point in your career, how do you define success? So I define success with two things. So the first thing would be freedom 
um, the idea to be able to work on what I want to work on or work the way I want to work and whatnot, and also work with like the people I want to work with. And the second thing would be around happiness, because I think an idea is like, you have to be happy. And I think there's been a change with how people think about success because people sometimes think of like, oh, I could have all this money, but if you don't have your health and you have no one to share with, then you're not going to be happy. So I think I always kind of focus on like making sure that I'm free to do whatever I want to do and I'm happy. And I'll add a third thing where it's like I am pushing myself to best level possible because I always think about like, can I be better? Can I do different things and whatnot? And the one thing I want to do is like, I want to have no regrets when I get older because I was scared or whatnot. And kind of like what I was mentioning before, where it's like doing speaking engagements, I was like kind of terrified and I was like, I'm tired of feeling scared. Let me just kind of face this fear head on. So I would say like those three things are probably how I define success. Mm. Given that that definition of success, like what do you appreciate the most about your life right now? The first thing is like I'm healthy. I know there's we went through a pandemic and we're currently still in one. And I would say like, you know, health is probably one of the top thing because you're able to like do so many things um, if you have some good health. So that would be the first thing. And I think the second thing is like understanding what I want to do out of life or how I want to do it. I think, as I mentioned before, like I was like during that time I was between those two jobs, I really figured out what I want to do, how I want to do it. And I think that made it easy because now if any other opportunity comes my way, I know if it's right for me or not right for me from the moment I hear about it. And there's a lot of people that are older than me that are like don't know what they want to do and whatnot. But I think for me, that's been something that helps me push forward. But also, I know when to say no and when to say yes to certain things because it has to fall under those criteria. So, but yeah. What haven't you done yet that you want to do? The one thing I want to do is hopefully do like a startup start my own startup in the future. I, I know this is probably a cliche answer from someone that's working in tech, but <laughs> I think that that's something that I want to just try out and see if I could do it and whatnot and see if it's like something feasible, but for me, but I think that's something I probably want to kind of do within the next 10 years. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it'd be a, like a learning lesson. But I think overall, Looking back at like what I've learned in the past 10 years, the idea of like taking an idea from concept to completion, I, I, I was like, well, I think I'm set up to be a CEO one day, not like a, not for a big company, but like just doing my own thing and providing some sort of product. So I don't know if it's going to be like tech related or shoot, it might be something that's like physical, but it could be lock picking. That's what I'm thinking. I was like, yo, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm like, how can I turn this into a product? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, hopefully uh, something comes along my way that is that I'm super passionate about, and I can use my skills. And also, there's a group of people that I can provide a service to. So I think, yeah, hopefully nice. that happens. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and your work and everything, and follow you online? 
You can follow me at uh, at akumbaoduya.com. My site is really old, but it's going to be updated in the next couple of weeks. You can find me in any social media. It's basically my first name, last name. So um shouldn't be that hard, I think. I don't know if I'm a, the only Atacunle Oduye, but I'm the only one on, online, so I'm going I'm to <laughs> take it. So, <laughs> so yeah, just uh, find me on those channels. Sounds good. Well, Atacunle Oduye, thank you so much for coming back on Revision Path and for for giving us an update. You know, as I kind of said to you before we started recording, I listened back to our our first interview and the change in just how you are talking about your work, how you're carrying yourself as a person from that interview to this interview is like night and day. I can really tell that like you've grown up and matured in this industry. You've learned some things and you're taking that out, you know, into the work that you're doing and out into the world, you know, by mentoring other people and really paying it forward. So it's really been a pleasure for me to see your development over these past few years. And I'm glad to see that you're mentoring and helping out the next generation while also, you know, still working in this industry and trying to make a difference. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. And I'm hopeful that anyone that's listening to this one and also the past interview I did motivates them that like, you don't have to be perfect and anyone can do it. So, and yeah, I appreciate it and keep on doing this. Big, big thanks to Adekunle Oduye, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Adekunle and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our wonderful sponsor for this episode, Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by R.J. Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of the interview? As a matter of fact, what do you think about Revision Path overall? Don't be a stranger. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for Revision Path. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let everyone know about the show because it really helps us grow and reach more people all around the world. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.